You're listening to the Law of Attraction Radio Network. Are you ready to change your life in the next 30 minutes? It's time for Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. Get your notebooks ready. He's about to go in. Five, four, three, two, one. Coach Mark, let's go. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in. This is Coach Mark, and you're listening to Power in a Half Hour. In the next 30 minutes, we're going to learn the tips, tricks, and techniques of the rich and the super duper successful. So the quote that we're going to start today's show with is, if you're not willing to change, don't expect your life to either. All right. If you're not willing to change, don't expect your life to either. The title of today's show is this could change your life forever. Seven small tips to help bring about big change. I want to thank everyone for listening. want to remind you, if you ever want to go back and re-listen to not only this show, but any of my previous shows, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com, or find me on iTunes. Just do a search for Coach Mark or Power and a Half Hour. If we're not friends on Facebook, my name on Facebook is Mark Starr. That's M-A-R-K-S-T-A-R-R, or The Real Mark Starr, or on Instagram, it's at Coach Mark Speaks. For all my listeners in the United States, I have a daily message message service that sends out a inspirational motivational message every single morning at 9 a.m eastern standard time to get those messages for free all you have to do is text the letters bbd to 411247 and if you have not downloaded my book you can download it for free at www.repeataftermebook.com all right we have a great show today so let's go ahead and get started profile number one john and bert jacobs Now, John and Bert grew up in Massachusetts. They were their parents' two youngest children out of six. Their dad worked in a machine shop and their mom stayed home. Both of their parents influenced them to be open-minded and to welcome ideas and thoughts from all walks of life. When Bert was eight, he had a seed-selling business, and during college, he had a house-painting business called Positive Painting. Bert always wanted to go into business, and he graduated in 1987 with a bachelor's in communication from Villanova University. Now, John graduated in 1990 from the University of Massachusetts with a bachelor's in English and a minor in art. After graduating from school, Bert drove to Colorado and went to work in a ski town. He delivered pizza at night and was a ski instructor during the day for a year. Now, during that time, John was in school in Northern California on an exchange program, and the two brothers decided to do a cross-country road trip back to Boston. Along the way, they talked about developing a business together. Both brothers liked to draw and were looking for a way to combine art and business to avoid getting a job. They came to the realization that T-shirts could be a vehicle for art. Now, in 1989, they launched their business and started selling T-shirts on the streets in Boston. As they ran their T-shirt business, both brothers supplemented their income for a year with substitute teaching. In the beginning, they were selling 12 to 15 T-shirts an afternoon on a good day. On a bad day, they sold none. Now, after a year or two in the business, they bought a used van and took their show on the road. They began a six to seven week road trip to colleges in their area. They would sell in college dormitories and began to have better success than selling on the street. They also learned that if you found the girl everybody admired and she liked your shirt, she'd sell the shirt for you. They called it the queen bee factor. They also got male friends to do the same thing in the men's dorms. At the time, they were selling enough t-shirts to keep their dream alive and not to have to go out and get a job. 
after five and a half years of selling T-shirts, the brothers had $78 in the bank. Now, keep in mind, these guys were running their business for five and a half years. And what did they have to show after five and a half years? $78. Now, it would have been really easy for them to quit and say, you know what? We've been doing this thing for five and a half years, and it's not working. All we have is $78 to show. But guess what? They did not give up. They just knew they probably needed to make a small change. In 1994, the two brothers talked about how people seemed worn down by the media's constant focus on the negative side of information. The two brothers then decided to have a cake party at their apartment where they put up drawings on the wall. They had done a lot of music-inspired, cool, funky designs. When they asked their friends to write notes next to the drawings, they got a lot of comments about one drawing in particular, a stick figure that smiled. They decided to pair the figure with the words, life is good. And then they printed up 48 t-shirts with the figure and the saying printed on it. They then went to a street fair and sold all of the t-shirts out in the first hour. This confirmed that people were craving something positive that focused on the good instead of what's wrong in the world. The t-shirts sold for $15 or three for 40. The two brothers also started taking them to stores to sell. Suddenly, retailers started asking, does the smiley guy eat ice cream? Does he roller skate? What else do you have? The brothers reacted to what people wanted and started drawing things that depicted the things that made life good. They gave the character that they created the name Jake. Their design was just different from the edgy, boastful, in-your-face slogans that were on T-shirts at the time. Their concept was that optimism is powerful. They ended up hiring a sales rep to take the product up and down the East Coast. There was a stretch where they opened an account every day for 70 days. During that time, they operated the business out of their apartment. They would drive to the screen printers, print the T-shirts, box them up themselves, and then mail them. In the late 1990s, they rented the back of an 18-wheeler, which became their warehouse, and they got permission to park it next to the screen printer. The two brothers started with mom-and-pop stores, then they broke into chains like REI and Dick's Sporting Goods. By 1996, after seven years in the business, they were now making $260,000 a year. These guys had been in the business for five and a half years, and they only had $78. After seven years, they were only making $260,000 a year. Now, it wasn't until the late 90s when they actually got their first office. By 1998, they crossed the million-dollar mark in revenue, and investors started pouring in, wanting a piece of the company. The brothers decided that they still wanted to make all the decisions themselves, so they got a bank loan instead of going with venture capital. They got a $500,000 line of credit to manufacture their own label of T-shirts. At the time, they were getting T-shirts from local screen printers and were printing their designs on Hanes T-shirts. Even though they weren't doing any advertising, the company continued to spread as they were getting letters from people that were facing all sorts of adversity, like going through chemotherapy or experiencing the loss of a loved one. These people would tell them how the Life is Good t-shirts helped them through their adversity. The brothers were inspired by these stories, and they decided to start a foundation that benefits kids who are overcoming violence, poverty, and illness while promoting the Life is Good brand. 
In 2012, Life is Good formed a partnership with Hallmark to create greeting cards and stationery using sayings and artwork. They also have partnerships with Smuckers and Planet Dog. Life is Good t-shirts, hats, and other items are sold by 4,500 retail stores nationwide. The company now has over 200 employees and generates over $100 million a year. This is a company that after five years, they only had $78. Now they're making over $100 million a year. Let's now take a look at some advice from John and Burt Jacobs. Number one, blur the line between work and play. The brothers spend a lot of time at work, so they inject fun, laughter, and energy into the workday. At company meetings, their employees play live music, or they might go snow tubing on a mountain. Even though they have a good time, they share real information, then afterwards they cut loose and have fun. Number two, failures are how you learn, adjust, and stay nimble. At the first trade show they ever went to, they were telling people that it was their first grand opening until a kind retailer told them to stop telling everyone that they were brand new because no one wanted to buy unproven products. And number three, be transparent. You don't have to be right or have all the answers. You've got to be able to tell people what's happening, good, bad, or ugly. Then others can help solve the problem. People don't like them because they're geniuses. People like them because they know that they are trying and they trust the two brothers. Profile number two, Evan Gaddis. Now, Evan was born in Dallas, Texas and began playing baseball at the age of six. His parents divorced when he was eight years old. Now, when he was 12, he moved from his mother's house to live with his father's new family. Evan played high school baseball at different schools in the Dallas area. After high school, he was projected to be a potential draft pick in the first eight rounds of the 2004 Major League Baseball draft. Evan instead declared that he intended to attend college and play college baseball. He accepted an offer to play for Texas A&M University. While at Texas, Evan began experiencing anxiety derived from his fear at failing at college baseball, and he also was starting to finally process his parents' divorce, which had occurred over 10 years prior. This led Evan to begin abusing alcohol and marijuana. He went undrafted in the 2004 draft. Instead of going to college, his mother took him to a drug rehabilitation facility where he had a 30-day inpatient stay. He then went to Prescott, Arizona, where he had three months of outpatient therapy while living in a halfway house. After he came out of the halfway house, he enrolled at Seminole State College, which was a junior college in Seminole, Oklahoma. He was redshirted as a freshman and then played for half a season in 2006. He then injured his knee at Seminole State and became burned out on baseball and quit again. During this time, Evan told his dad that he didn't want to talk about baseball anymore and that he was done with baseball. Evan's first job after quitting baseball was as a parking valet in Dallas. He then visited his sister in Boulder, Colorado and decided to move there. When he got to Colorado, he sold his truck and worked in a pizza parlor and as a ski lift operator at a resort. During this time, Evan became depressed and was unable to sleep as he contemplated suicide. He said that during this time in 2007, he thought about killing himself every single day. Evan then entered at an inpatient psychiatric ward for three days in the summer of 2007, where he was diagnosed with clinical depression and an anxiety disorder. He was then released into the care of his father. After living in Colorado for seven months, Evan moved back to Dallas with his brother, where they worked as janitors.
While back in Dallas, he met a new age spiritual advisor there, and on her advice, he followed her to New Mexico. There he lived in a hostel and worked at a ski resort. Three months later, he moved to California, then to Wyoming, where he worked at Yellowstone National Park. After being out of baseball for three years, Evan decided to return to baseball in 2010. His stepbrother was a college baseball player at the University of Texas Perriman. The head coach of the team remembered Evan from his high school career and offered him a spot on the team. Now, during that season, Evan had a breakout year. The Atlanta Braves selected Evan in the 23rd round of the 2010 Major League Baseball draft. For the next three years, Evan would play on various minor league teams. It wasn't until 2013 that Evan ended up getting his big opportunity and was called to come and play with the Atlanta Braves. While Evan excelled with the Braves in 2015, he was traded to the Houston Astros. In 2017, Evan earned $5.2 million with the Astros and helped them to win the 2017 World Series Championship. What an amazing story. Now, there's a quote that goes like this. If you do not create change, change will create you. Oftentimes, we are resistant to change. What we fail to realize is that change is always happening. It is a constant. Even if we resist change, change will still happen. Let's learn to not look at change as a bad thing. Change is how we elevate. Change is how we go from where we are currently at to where we want to be. Yet most people avoid change as they prefer to stay in their comfort zones. If we can learn to change our mindset from one that avoids change to one that embraces change, we open ourselves for our life to dramatically improve. Let's take a look at some of the benefits of change. Number one, personal growth. You grow and learn new things every time something changes. You discover new insights about different aspects of your life. You learn lessons even from changes that did not lead you to where you wanted to be. Number two, flexibility. Frequent changes make you easily adapt to new situations, new environments, and new people. As a result, you do not freak out when something unexpectedly shifts. Number three, improvements. We all have things in our lives we'd like to improve. Maybe it's finances, maybe it's our job, our partner, our house, or whatever. All of us know that nothing will improve by itself, or at least we all, I hope that we all know that. We need to do things differently to make that happen. Without change, there would be no improvements. Number four, life values. From time to time, Changes make you reevaluate your life and look at certain things from a different perspective. Depending on what the change is, it may also reinforce your life values. Number five, the snowball effect. Often we give up because we cannot accomplish the difficult task of making a huge and immediate change. That is when small changes become extremely valuable. One shift at a time, small changes will eventually lead you to the desired big one. Number six, strength. Not all changes lead you to pleasant periods of life. Unfortunately, we do not live in a fairy tale and sad things happen too. Overcoming the tough period will make you stronger. Number seven, progress. Changes trigger progress. Things move forward and develop because of them. Number eight, opportunities. We never know what each change may bring. When you turn from your usual path, there will be plenty of different opportunities waiting for you. Changes will bring new choices for happiness and fulfillment. Number nine, new beginnings. 
Each change is a turning page. It's about closing one chapter and opening another one. Changes bring new beginnings and excitement to life. Now that we know the benefits of change, let's look at some of the top reasons why people resist change. Number one, it's not always enjoyable in the beginning. When we are making major changes in our lives, whether it has been decided by us or by someone else, there are going to be adjustment periods and there's going to be hard work required. During these changes, it's not always fun. The ability to delay gratification until the change is complete is essential. The inability to delay gratification is one of the major reasons that people resist change. It's very important that we keep our focus on the bigger picture and the purpose behind the change. Number two, inability to start. Not knowing where to start is a common excuse to resist change. You know you want to change something and you know that you'll benefit from the change, but you resist it due to not knowing where to start. You get caught up in the paralysis of analysis and fail to set the change in motion. Instead of focusing on the perfect place to start, do some brainstorming to come up with a list of potential starting points or simple actions that you can start immediately. Number three, poor self-image. If you do not see yourself as capable of making the change, you will struggle to make the change. If you can only see yourself as a certain way, it will be difficult for you to change into the opposite without first changing how you see yourself. That's why it's important to work on your self-image. See yourself as the person you're trying to become. Visualize this on a daily basis. As you do this, you will become more confident in your ability to achieve this goal. You will begin to identify the changes you need to make and you will be more motivated to make those changes. Number four, failing to view a behavior as a behavior. Sometimes you may see your behaviors as a permanent part of who you really are. When you believe that your behavior is a part of who you are, you cannot easily see how you can change it, so you resist change. You may come out with excuses such as, I wouldn't be me if I changed that, or this is who I am. It's important to remember that behavior is a temporary thing which can be changed. Your behavior is not who you are. It is something which can be changed, and when you realize this, you are less motivated to resist change. Number five, deflecting responsibility. If you want to change something, it is you, 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 and only you who must make the change. People who resist change often do so by attempting to place responsibility for that change onto someone else. Number six, the fear of uncertainty. There is no guarantee that any change will be a success. If you're looking for a guarantee of success, you are giving yourself an excuse to resist the change. No one can give you that guarantee. And number seven, sunk costs. When you have spent a great deal of time in a situation like a relationship or a job, you will have invested a great deal of your personal resources. It can feel like you're throwing those investments away when you choose to make a change, thus causing you to resist the change. We have to remember that in life, we are constantly transitioning. We move from situation to situation, learning as we go along. Rather than focus on all that you put into the situation, remind yourselves of all that you gained during your time and then focus on the opportunities that you will have as a result of making the change. Number eight, you don't really want to change. 
Now, there are many occasions where you may want to give the impression that you are trying to change something, but in reality, you do not really want to make the change. Maybe someone is pressuring you into a change that you don't want to make. If the change isn't coming from you, it'll be hard for you to remain consistent with the change. Remember that nobody has the right to pressure you into anything. If you don't want to change, you don't have to. The change will only stick once you decide that you're ready, not anyone else deciding for you. Let's now take a look at seven small ways that we can use to make big change in our lives. Number one, identify and understand what you want to change. Whenever you decide to make a change, you must first understand why you're making the change in the first place. If your goal aligns with your core values, then the thought of it will trigger a positive gut feeling. Number two, Rid your life of negativity. I can't even express how important this is. You can't expect to have a life of positivity and joy if you're surrounded by negativity. Those who are negative or surrounded by negativity are more stressed, get sick more often, and have less opportunities than those who are positive. Let me repeat that. Rid your life of negativity. You can't expect to have a life of positivity and joy if you're surrounded by negativity. Those who are negative or surrounded by negativity are more stressed, get sick more often, and have less opportunity than those who are positive. Number three, exercise more often. Exercise is not only good for you physically, but it also helps you to become a more positive person. When you exercise, you gain purpose and drive, and it teaches you discipline. Exercise also helps you to feel better about yourself, which leads to more confidence, and it also helps reduce anxiety and stress and releases the feel-good chemicals in your brain like endorphins and dopamine. Number four, be kind to others. Studies show that people who engage in kind acts become happier over time. There are many kind acts you can perform on a daily basis, such as purchase coffee for a co-worker, pay the toll for the person behind you, visit a friend or family member, smile at a cashier or server, or volunteer whenever you have free time. Number five, build a support network. A strong support network can help you during times of stress. This group of friends, family, and peers is important because they provide additional benefits like providing a sense of belonging and increased self-worth and a feeling of security when you need advice, information, or guidance. Number six, Eliminate the non-essentials. After identifying the important things in life, start eliminating everything else and everyone else. This is all about simplifying your life so that you can focus on the things that matter most to you. And this also helps to prevent you from getting distracted. And number seven, take baby steps. When we look at the big picture, we can get overwhelmed with all the steps involved in achieving a goal. Instead, break the big picture goals down into systematic, manageable baby steps, then document and celebrate your wins daily. This will help you achieve that change that you've been seeking in a positive and meaningful way. All right, well, that's all that we have for today's show. I want to remind you, if you want to go back and re-listen to not only this show, but any of my previous shows, you can go to my website, www.powerhh.com, 
or you can find me on iTunes in the podcast section. Just do a search for Coach Mark or Power in a Half Hour. Now, I know you have three friends that should have heard what we talked about today. So make sure you share this with them. Tell them about the radio station that you're listening to this on. If they don't have access to that, tell them they can go to my website or they can find me in iTunes. All right. And the quote that we're going to end today's show with is change is hard at first. Messy in the middle and gorgeous at the end. Let me repeat that. Change is hard at first, messy in the middle, and absolutely gorgeous at the end. And that's from Robin Sharma. Thank you much, and until the next show. Thanks for listening to Power in a Half Hour with Coach Mark. To listen or re-listen, go to powerinahalfhour.com. Follow Coach Mark on Instagram and Twitter at Coach Mark Speaks. Find Coach Mark on Facebook by searching for Mark Starr. Like our Facebook fan page, Power in a Half Hour, and join our Power in a Half Hour Facebook group. See you next week.
say, Cause I'm happy. Clap along.